We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's going to be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse Sound on Sides TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik, and I'm joined, as ever, by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? You know how it's going. <laughs> Everyone knows how it's going. Well, you're not on a bus, though. No, I no, that is that is true. So that's good. That's a good thing. We have a bunch of shows to talk about, but only a short span of time in which to do it because we have a mega DVD shelf coming uh, at the end of the show. We talked with Josh Beagle from Masterpiece Cinema about Battlestar, and I'm just gonna say right now, spoiler warning for Battlestar. Uh, the whole show, we you know we spoil the whole show at the end of, at the end of this episode, and we also have one generic thing about the lost finale in there. So you've been warned, right? So we yes, yes that that's coming at the end of the show. Also, before anything else, I want to mention at Sound on Sight, we have first of all we have a new design. It looks awesome. Uh, Ricky's been putting a lot, lot of work in, and so we have a new look over there. So you guys should go check it yes. out. And it, then, it's not one hundred percent done yet. Yes. So we're in beta? Yes. Or even the whatever Alpha. is under beta. <laughs> okay. And then uh, we have also, we're giving away a Blu-ray of the complete box set of Friends. Um, Which is a pretty big deal. Yeah, it's a huge deal. It's 10 episodes on Blu-ray. It's like a $200. 10 seasons. Sorry, 10 seasons. Slightly different. Um, and so to enter, it's going to be a drawing. So to enter, email feedback at soundinside.org. And let us know which friend you are most like. And if you want to get a second, uh, na- you know, second pick in the uh, in the raffle, second uh, chance, you can email me theteleverse at gmail with your favorite moment from Friends. And so this is going to be going through, I think, the first week of December, and then we're going to pick a name from the hat, as it were, and they're going to get an awesome DVD or blu-ray we're just really we're just really lonely and we're looking for an excuse to get emails yeah really i i still have not gotten a legit email for for the televerse you know they're all uh spam and and things so i'm looking forward to hopefully conversing with some of you fine listeners about uh about friends um so that's what's going on at the site we got a bunch of comments from you guys and tweets and everything mario agrees with us about vampire diaries he's Hoping for less Klaus, and he's liking what we're getting with Jeremy. He wants to know if we're still watching Grimm, and I am, and we'll be talking about that later in the show. And he says he's officially old because he watches The Good Wife. <laughs> um, yep, and he, that's how it works. He's not liking Kalinda, says her husband's making her weak, and that Alicia needs a friend. And he's uh, hoping for a second stellar comeback in the Amazing Race pool because last year he was he was not doing too hot, and then he got a bunch of points at the end and managed to win. So. We'll see what happens this uh, this year. Not going to happen, Mario. I, I'm just going to dominate this year, and I will continue to dominate until the end of time. Somebody's uh, pretty cocky over there, so I think we. Uh, I, I'd be all for a second Mario win if it means that Simon, you get knocked down a peg. Maybe I can. Yeah, I can. Well. I can deal with that. Um, we Y'all can for... dream. 
we heard from Ken about The Walking Dead, and some, and we were talking about Bond a little bit. Uh, Keith is liking Arrow, but he he's he wants some of the the neat trick arrows to you know from the comic to to pop up. Corey doesn't like Thirty Three, uh, which is of course the pilot episode of Battlestar. He doesn't like Battlestar. Qua? What? How could somebody not like Thirty Three? I don't know. Okay, I imagine I, I, you're not going to want to listen to the end of the show then, Corey. But you can listen to the first part. <laughs> well, you're going to want to listen to so I, I, I don't know how much of Battlestar he's seen, but I, I do a fair amount of bitching. <laughs> um, Beth liked our episode last week. Thank you very much, Beth. And uh, apparently the reason Will wasn't in Much of the Good Wife last week was because Josh Charles directed the episode. So that would be why he was just in that one scene. Ah. Stephanie and Shannon were talking Supernatural with me, and they are both liking Benny and the season. And Amanda uh, enjoyed your boys, the Chippendales, and their synchronized swimming this week on Amazing Race. So it was lovely talking with all you guys this week. Of course, you can always uh, tweet, tweet me at the Televerse and uh, send emails and posts on the site. We, we love hearing from you guys. And... Uh, would hope for more uh, uh, communication in the future. We don't have any new iTunes ratings or reviews this week, so maybe somebody will head over to there and uh, show us a little love uh, before next week's episode. That'd be fabulous. But s'il vous plaît. But I feel like we should dive into this week in TV because yeah, we really should. Yeah, lots of shows. We're gonna start with the premiere of Top Chef Seattle. Or I think it's 10 or 12. Season or... 10, yeah. Yeah. So last year we complained a lot about having way too many contestants and not being able to know who any of them were or care about them for quite a while. Uh, they So they took a different approach this season. And uh, what did you think? Well, yeah, I, I think it's very much a necessary sort of not, not reinvention. That's a little bit too strong. But they definitely retooled almost every aspect from last <laughs> season, including not starting off with about 500 chefs and taking several episodes to bring it down to 450 chefs. <laughs> um, and here we start off with, I think, 21, and we get down to maybe 15, mm -hmm. and that's it. Like, that's that's done. We've got our chefs now, and, in, and they just do simple tests to see who's showing up, and there seem to be a mostly interesting bunch, although it's always hard to tell with reality shows. Uh, I mean, I thought the Amazing Race Bunch was going to be super interesting when that season started, and that turned out to not be true at all. So I guess we'll see. Uh, I, I did feel like who they were setting up for a fall was a little obvious uh, with, with this lob, but I didn't really mind so much because that means I don't have to watch those people for a season. Well, and just the, the way that they culled the, the herd, as it were, this year was so much better than, than previous seasons where they have just some seemingly incredibly random challenge this was they paired paired them with one of the coaches or one of the sorry one of the judges for the season and uh and then they you know had to just complete a task for them and then the the person picked the judge picked who they thought had potential to to maybe win and those people went on and so just the simplicity of that but also the the kind of things they were being asked to do like make an omelet making an omelet doing it well is really hard. It's a, a simple task that is very difficult to execute. And you could tell that just based on the fact that none of them did a particularly great job. Um, I did, did think it was a little unequal. Seems like uh, the Colicchio chefs uh, yeah, yeah. had a harder I, time. For, you know, for some people, like, make an omelet, make a soup, do an entire service and don't make any mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh. Yeah. Um, so we'll see what we'll see what happens this season, but I, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but let's move on to Key and Peel, which has been you know a little lower on our radar recently. What did you think of this episode? 
I feel like we didn't get to it last week, but I feel like between the Halloween episode and this post-election episode, I feel like they they were a lot better than the last two or three weeks before that. Uh, for, I think in both cases, about 80% of the sketches worked for me, which for Key and Peele is a really good hit-to-miss ratio. For uh, any sketch I, show, really. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you, it was obvious, but the whole oh, and, uh, Obama and, uh, and Anger Translator just gloating <laughs> and having a hammer dance afterwards pretty much made the whole episode worth it. Yeah, it was uh, fun. But, but even uh, even sketches that I wouldn't think would work, like the whole motion capture connect sketch was <laughs> kind of crude in theory, but, but actually pretty funny to watch. Yeah, good uh, execution on on that one, I thought. And, uh, you know, it's something that I mean, I, I, it's something that I'm sure a lot of people have pondered. So it's not necessarily the newest idea, but the way that they do pull it off works really well. So, yeah, it was a fun episode this week. And it's been one that we've kind of been skipping because we haven't had much to say. So I'm glad to report that we are back on the Keen Peel bandwagon. Um, we also checked in with South Park this week. Which I thought was great and you didn't. Uh, yeah. And actually between them, I thought that Comedy Central kind of won... Uh, election election coverage, especially with the Daily Show and Colbert, obviously. Oh, yeah. but Daily Show Colbert won. Yeah, it was it was there was really no no contest. Um, I don't know. I, I just I love. I'm I'm always fascinated by how able Parker and Stan are able to turn around an episode so that they were able to fold in the Disney Star Wars stuff with the election in a way that I thought was surprisingly funny and just ridiculously timely. Although I can't imagine how the episode's going to age. But for now, I thought it was very funny, and I, I, I just love the idea of everyone pr- protecting a false election result in the defense of Star Wars. I thought was was really cute, and I, and I love the last shot of Obama's face just kind of fading into the clouds. I don't know. I, I, I kind of loved it. Yeah, I wasn't nearly as entertained as you. I thought it was fine. Um, yeah, it's been a while since I went on down to South Park, and so I was glad to, to be back with those characters. But, uh, you know, Cartman's always entertaining. The, the nuts gag at the beginning was pretty great and just it's getting a little old was was nice um <laughs> yeah and i always love when they they have mickey <laughs> so uh, yeah i always find that very surreal so so that was that was pretty great um but in, in general i just i didn't I, I maybe my hopes were a little over you know my expectations were raised too much because i know that how much you liked it so maybe that was what was in play but uh but yeah, I would say there were some good comedies this week, but for me, they came later in the week. Next, we have Supernatural, which I'm just going to mention. This is Southern Comfort. I'm going to mention it because they brought back DJ Qualls, uh, which I enjoyed. I enjoy his, his character, and I like the actor. And uh, they actually gave him something to do this week. This is Garth, uh, the hunter. Uh, and so I, I'm, I appreciated that. And I liked seeing, you know, he gets only a couple of moments to really deliver anything beyond really straightforward um, banter. Uh, but I think DJ Qualls does a really good job, and I look forward to maybe you know having him become a like once or twice a season kind of recurring character. So we'll see what they do with that. But uh, it's been a I think it's been a solid season for Supernatural. So I'm enjoying it. I'm very glad. I was worried, but I'm, but I'm glad. But uh, on the on the thread of I was worried, uh, Nashville moved on over. They just got a season pickup, full season pickup from ABC. But I'm I think I'm ready to break up with the show. Yeah, I mean. It's it's tricky because I feel like in those first few weeks we were getting really good musical numbers and uh, we were really digging the cast and now it kind of feels like it's spinning its wheels a bit, which is a little bit disappointing. I mean, I I do like the stuff with Deacon and Juliet's mother, uh, which I wasn't really expecting. I thought that was quite nice. Other than that, it was a deeply forgettable episode and I, and I've I've gotten much less interested in 
in Gunner since they brought in the love interest, to be honest. Well, and just the, the, the younger characters, I mean, other than Juliet, I still am really enjoying what's, you know, the Reyna and Juliet and Deacon side of things. Um, but uh, the younger characters, are they're just going through such really straightforward and cliched plot points. I don't care. The, you know, I think I'm supposed to care about this potential love quadrangle, but I don't because the characters are all being various types of annoying. And uh, Scarlet would be uh, likable, the likable one of the bunch, except that she's with this idiot who keeps being a jerk and she keeps staying with him. So that, you know, it's hard to, to respect her because of that. And, and and the music isn't as good as it was before. Before she was winning me over because she kept, you know, the, her character kept being part of these these songs that I was enjoying. But with that element taken away, you know, and then and then you go over to the the husband side of things, and you have Teddy and Powers Booth. I'm not. Yeah. I get tired of Powers Booth quickly, anyways. And that side doesn't have any music, and they're making me not like Kimberly Williams. I like Kimberly Williams. Yeah, I mean, out of the younger people, Scarlett's easily my favorite. But I feel like if something doesn't change with that quickly, um, mm. it'll. But yeah, I don't know whether I'm going to watch it next week or not. Uh, I, I kind of there are a few shows this week where I, where I kind of feel like cool in my heels for a few weeks and then maybe checking back in later, yeah, seeing if they fix their pacing and other issues. We'll get there. Yeah, but yeah, I did really like you said the the stuff with the the Juliet's mom and Deacon is really good, and so if they can recenter back towards that stuff, then they then I'll oh, stick through. And the stuff with Deacon and Coleman is good as well. Yeah, I, I like the, the 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 pairing of those scenes. So yeah, I don't know. There is some quality material in there, and I always like seeing Bunny Colvin. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I don't know if it's enough really. Yeah. Um, let's move on, though, to one of the highlights for me, at least this week, which was Parks and Rec and Ben's parents. We saw Mike Ehrmantraut, uh, Jonathan Banks, come on as Ben's dad. And, uh, yeah, this was this was a, just a delightfully fun and awkward and sort of terrible episode when it comes to family relations. What did you think? Well, I, I like that they stuck to their guns with just how horrible his dad is. And I, I always love when showrunners want to bring in a, a guest and they're like yeah we're looking for like a jonathan banks type and then they just get jonathan banks yeah uh, which which was the right move and uh, he's so so good in this that that's just a killer deadpan although I, I think my actually my favorite moment of the entire episode is just his silent showdown with swanson <laughs> over uh, the bacon where, wrapped shrimp <laughs> yes it's like and it, it, he's he's finally met his match and uh, <laughs> th th that was that was pretty great i also loved every every single word that came out of jean ralphio's mouth Mm -hmm. I'm technically homeless. <laughs> uh, that was fantastic. Uh, yeah, I thought this was the funniest parks in a while, actually. Yeah, and and the stuff we get with Chris is also good. I'm hoping that that means we're over the hump, and that because you know as much as I've enjoyed the Chris as depressed storyline, it's starting to get old. So I'm hoping that this is gonna push him to the next, you know, to the next thing that they have level of for. not being depressed. Yeah, or just, you know, something new, because that character can be really funny, but I feel like they hit on this, oh, he's a, it's hilarious to see him depressed thing, and they haven't moved past it. So, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Well, I, I look forward to seeing what we what we get next. Um, yes, and hopefully Anne will get something to do again. Yes. We also had Always Sunny, the, the gang gets analyzed. Uh, I thought this was decent. Um, I really liked, especially DeVito's epic breakdown, uh, and <laughs> which, which actually I was hoping was going to be a covert... Um, one flew over the cuckoo's nest reference, but wasn't, mm -hmm. which uh, which would have been uh, maybe a little bit too meta for them. 
But anyway, I didn't recognize the actress playing the um, the therapist, but she she was doing a pretty good straight lady. Uh, so that that was that was kind of key. It's uh, Kathy Kenny from uh, Reno Nine One One and any number of other things. She's oh she's yeah, just normally okay. we don't see her as a blonde. So that that's what right. threw me for a while. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, I, I especially liked uh, Max segment. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think D's one for me. Uh, just uh, the, the the increasing mania <laughs> of hers was pretty great. Say it was good. Say it was good. I was good. Say it was good. Say it was, was so great. And then um, I, I enjoyed that Charlie starts out as the most like reasonable and sane, and then as he's he's like, wait, no, this is you're taking, you're becoming crazier. This this, yeah. this analysis is not helping you. It's making you worse. I, I was I the only one who was disappointed that the, that the glass coffee table remained unsmashed by the end of the episode. Oh, I didn't even think of that, but you're right. That is a little surprising. That seems totally out of character. You'd think the dishes when she was breaking the dishes, she would have like I don't know tried yeah, to take maybe. it and failed or I don't know. Good stuff. Um, we also had uh, the league uh, on Thursday, and this one was okay. Lot, there's been a lot of okay for the league this season. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like when it's when it's on on all cylinders, it's great. But I, I have this sneaking suspicion that you know Mark Duplass makes eight movies a year, and Paul Shears also heading up uh, NTSF, obviously. And I kind of feel like they they're like they're not they're they're not necessarily giving the show the full attention it needs to really be as fun. Like it, it can be a really well oiled show and be really funny, as we saw a few weeks ago with the first two episodes. But lately, I'm I'm finding it they they lean a little bit heavy on the juvenilia, and you know, getting a football cameo, and it doesn't and it doesn't really click entirely. So I'm I'm kind of thinking I'm gonna I'm gonna, it's one of those cool my heel shows, and then see if maybe it get, it gets a a really solid episode in later because now it's feeling a little bit more like season three doldrums to me. Okay, well, let me know where you are at where you're at with the show. It hasn't been blowing me away as much as the first couple of episodes did either, but it's still you know fairly reliable. I think when you tune in, you know what you're going to get. Um, and speaking of tuning in, know what you're going to get. Children's Hospital and NTSF. Um, you didn't get to see Children's yet this week. Uh, I was I thought it was only kind of meh. It wasn't one of my, their favorites for me. Um, lots of. Uh, Winkler, what we get with him is good, but uh, the the whole Godfather thing didn't really work for me. I kind of feel like he's been the surprise MVP of this season. Of the show, I would say. He's great. Always love yeah. uh, Henry Winkler. Um, and then NTSF, SDSUV, the HISS, House Insation System, uh, infomercial. Uh, this one, I was, you know, I thought it was okay, but it felt like a, like a, Three minute bit that they stretched to ten. Stretched to ten minutes, yeah. And also, what's up with no poltergeist showing up? Yeah, I felt like there should be teasing poltergeists, and then no poltergeist. So we're going to talk more about children's and NTSF next week. Uh, I believe children's has its finale next week, and maybe there's another NTSF. We'll see. And so we'll talk about those more then. They they didn't have a teaser for next week this week, so I kind of feel like they don't. Okay. We'll see. Then uh, we have Vampire Diaries. My full review for this is up at on site, so you can see more complete thoughts there. But uh, uh, I thought this episode was okay, I, or I liked it, I should say. But I, I'm a little concerned that the characters are, are once again moving into the we'll just all keep secrets from each other thing. And it's something they've already done on this show. And much like every show ever, it doesn't. it's not a good idea. And they've been burned by doing that before. And yet they don't seem to have learned anything from that and are repeating 
those same mistakes. So I'm nervous about that, not looking forward to what that means for where this season could be headed. But other than that, there's a lot of stuff uh, this episode that I actually thought was pretty good. I really liked seeing Elena more empowered. And um, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about it next week once you've had a chance to catch up. But let's talk Last Resort, Another Fine Navy Day. I, you know, I like this one. We got every, all the characters are, you know, tripping on whatever that uh, military chemical agent was. So, I mean, the ending was a bit, you know, for, you know, really clearly foreshadowed and uh, on the nose. But other than that, I, I, I like this episode. I don't know. I, I had mixed feelings about this one. I felt like a lot of it was really silly. I th- I didn't think that the the scattershot editing with the really obnoxious inner title with chemical in red. I don't know how much that really did for them. I kind of feel like it could have been less confusingly edited and been maybe even more effective. I don't know. Uh, and just the whole, I don't know, the, the whole let's get everyone drugged and have ridiculous hallucinations thing, I, I kind of feel like they, they either needed to go really nuts with that or not do it, and we got we ended up having these really kind of boring hallucinations, which uh, the only one that really worked for me was, was Brower uh, flashing back to his son, which was quite touching, but everything else is like, if you're going to have everyone trip out, make them trip out, you know? Like, Fair enough. Go nuts, go nuts with it. Well, uh, see- you know? But I thought, I thought it was good that uh, we got to see Scott Sweetman's character, whose name escapes me at the moment, interact with his wife. I feel like that's something there isn't another way to do that that I can think of that isn't just him monologuing to somebody about how he misses his wife. Yeah. So it was nice to actually see that, you know, element a little bit. Um, but yeah, uh, I, this was actually one of my least favorite last resort episodes, honestly, and which is, which was also doubly disappointing for me. Cause I thought the cold open was really great with Speedman just waking up bloody and it seemed <laughs> like everyone's dead. And that was pretty, that was pretty nuts until it wasn't. Um, and then, and then they kind of scaled back from that. I was like, Oh, all right. Um, and yeah, the, and the, and the ending was super schmaltzy. Yeah. Not a fan. I, they've been going that way with the, with those characters for a while. And I really am not looking forward to it. I think we can just agree that Sean Ryan does better when he steers clear of the love triangles. Um, yeah. And, but other than that, like I said, for me, this was actually one of the, the more promising episodes that we've gotten for, for last resort recently. So we'll see what they have, which direction yeah. they go next week. Well, I, I do like that they, that they're toying with what they can do. Um, mm-hmm. I just hope that they're going to get time to show what else they can do with what they can do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, next, on Friday, we have Grimm to protect and serve man. We are almost at the the fall finale for Grimm. There's going to be one more episode this year. And uh, I figured it was time to check back in. We've uh, kind of gone a few weeks without talking about it. Uh, I'm continuing to like the season. I like that they this, this one is very Hank-centric, and we get him sort of flashing back or we just get some him re- reinvestigating a case from several years ago now that he knows about Grimm's and, and Vessin and all the stuff all of a sudden there's this other case that doesn't seem so ridiculous as it did when he was first investigating it and I thought that was cool and it made sense um, the, the stuff with Juliet uh, I am still thinking they're doing a pretty good job with hopefully that will be resolved soon um but I imagine with uh, Adeline Shade coming back, she's their femme fatale next week to to throw a wrench into things. Uh, everything that we think is probably set to to happen next week might not actually come to fruition. So we'll see we'll see what happens with that. But I'm still enjoying Grimm, even though there is some really 
groan worthy dialogue that that those actors are saddled with for the on the most part it's a you know i would compare it to like castle it's a entertaining and diverting hour of television um let's talk fringe though through the looking glass and what walter found there this is the second sort of trippy episode of the week where are you going to rank this in comparison with uh, last resort you know i kind of have the same problem with with this episode where you know we're promised that we're getting thrown into this pocket universe and things don't work the same way there and then they kind of mostly do <laughs> which i thought was a really missed opportunity um but other than that it was a fine episode didn't uh, advance things a whole lot we're still on the quest mode which i was sort of hoping we we'd be off by now but we're not um also although i couldn't figure out if they created a pocket universe they could hide stuff from observers in why not put all the clues there I think it's the notion that if they, well, we don't know what it took or was taking to create and maintain it, but also then if they found it, they find everything. That seems like that's not necessarily a good, but why not put them all in different pocket universes around, you know, that would make more sense if you're trying to keep something secure. But apparently as we get the point of view from the observers, they can see that really easily as soon as they're in the room. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, Honestly, is anyone going to say the highlight of, of this episode wasn't uh, Peter? Observer, Observer Peter kicking ass? That was pretty great. That was great. And the rest of the episode was just kind of okay for me. I like that they brought back the child, uh, the kid from Inner Child. Uh, I think that has was a potential, like, pretty big, but wait, wait a second, um, when it comes to what they have defined the Observers as uh, compared to what they used to seem like they were in season one. Um, so that could be interesting. I really don't care about Donald. Um, but, uh, it, it, oh, and was it Cecil? It was like the most ridiculous red shirt ever. Um, yeah. What was up with that? You, you keep thinking totally he's going to be important and then, yeah, no. Yeah. Sorry, I kept expecting Cecil. him to be like Donald somehow, but no. Um, Cecil is such a red shirt name too. <laughs> but, uh, otherwise I thought it was solid. It was definitely better than the previous standalone that we, I, this felt like a standalone. Oh yeah. Movie. Um, but it's it, definitely it, better it, than yeah. the recordist definitely yes everything is better than the recordist <laughs> next we have the amazing race uh which took the the gang to moscow you didn't get a chance to catch up with this one yet but i very much enjoyed it we had the two like the the was a detour where you can pick which way to go um it was either alphabetizing books in the but you know of course they had to go into a card catalog but everything's in cyrillic so they, that was one way to do it. Or they had to learn a synchronized swimming routine. And I was expecting it to be, like, really straightforward. They had to do, like, backwards flips and turns and stuff. Like, so it wasn't the most straight, you know, it wasn't the easiest synchronized swimming thing that they could have been asked to do. So I was astonished that more people didn't just immediately go to the library because that seems like it's definitely the easier thing to do. But, um... I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, you should definitely catch up with this episode, though, because there's some stuff with your your guys, the Rockers, that should be interesting. And uh, All right. yeah, it's a to be continued. So we, there's no update on on the pool. We'll get points next week for for our picks for this week. But you still have basically uh, twice as many points as the person in second place. You're at 51, and then I believe it's Dan is at like 28, something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. But yes. Well, like I like I said, I, I have never-ending dominance. Nothing will dislodge me, and uh, you know, you may as well just give up now. Okay, on that theme, uh, giving up now. We have Bob's Burgers, Mutiny on the Windbreaker, <laughs> and uh, the gang gets Shanghai. What'd you think? 
Uh, this was probably my least favorite of the season, which, I mean, for Bob's is not that big a deal because they can do a subpar episode, which is still kind of funny. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, it, it felt like the having putting them on a, on a ship was just kind of an excuse to throw lots of random gags out there. Like, um, you know, the whole thing with the nails and uh, and Linda, you know, going on her tan with her pennies. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It just, it just seemed like it was throwing a lot of random ideas out there and just seeing what sticks more so than the average Bob's episode, which is a, l- a little disappointing. Um, I, I I did like the guest work from Tambor as the uh, as the ship's captain, but and and you know li- little little sight gags like the uh, like the terrified chef hiding in a pot and insisting <laughs> he's not in the pot, um, or that he's pasta. Um, th- th- those were great, um, but you know other than that, kind of kind of a meh turn for Bob's. I thought. Oh, I like this one more than you did. Uh, and I mean, Louise with those ridiculous nails. It was awesome. <laughs> Just like tap dancing with nails. It was awesome. So uh, yeah, they, they, they did it a few too many times, I thought. Ah, no, apparently I cannot get enough of Louise's ridiculousness, which does seem about right. Um, so yeah, I thought it was fun. It was not the best of the season. That still, for me, is full bars, the Halloween episode. Uh, yes, one, one of my favorite Halloween episodes probably ever. Um, but yeah, Bob's continues to be incredibly reliable. Speaking of reliable, The Good Wife, Anatomy of a Joke, uh, that tends to be one of the more uh, consistent shows, especially dramas on television. Uh, what'd you think this week? I think it kind of let us down a bit this week, and I'm going to blame yeah. Christina Ricci, uh, partially, because yeah. I not only was... That was both a failure of writing and acting, I think, because the, the material she was being given as an ostensible comic wasn't funny, ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it was it, it was especially glaring when when she when they tell that bad rape joke mm-hmm. in the office. And it's very clearly a carbon copy of an old Sarah Silverman rape joke that was actually kind of funny, mm-hmm. uh, which I guess we shouldn't get into that. But <laughs> uh, but yeah. So and, and yeah, Ricci was just not convincing as a comic at all. That was just a that seemed like a really unusually off bit of casting to me. Uh, she yeah. was just very stiff the whole time. It's, this was clearly a Sarah Silverman analog or something like that. You know, that that type of comedy, that type of uh, performer. And, and Christine Ricci did not work. I think, I mean, they already have used Sarah Silverman I thought on the show. And I thought she was actually really good when she in her appearance. Um, so they, they weren't going to bring her in for this. But I think there are any number of other uh, comedians or in comics they could have brought in to play this role. And I think just Ricci didn't ever feel like a comic when we see her doing stand-up when we see her on the talk show none of that felt like a comedian i feel i feel like the i feel like the episode could have worked if everyone on the show acknowledged she wasn't funny that would have actually been really funny Mm -hmm. they didn't go that route which is just oh and the whole thing with the window censorship thing at the beginning was just such a groaner uh and and it felt out of character for the show even yeah it did it felt if you know it's like the austin powers uh convenient fruit gag you know it's did yeah not, that was kind of funny the first time because they were making fun of it, uh, and it has not been funny ever since. Yes, and exactly. So it's not funny here. But I did like seeing F. Murray Abraham, so we'll see what happens. I like the scene we get with Carrie and Alicia. That was really nice, but on the whole, kind of a disappointing episode. Yeah, and they, they folded in Amanda Pete, which I guess we should have seen coming. And she, Alicia has a friend, which is nice. It's not more tyranny, though. <laughs> no, it won't. It will not be more no. tyranny. We'll see what happens uh, next is, well, I was just going to mention The Walking Dead. We already have our Walking Dead podcast for this week up on the feed. Uh, so that's in iTunes. You can find it there or you can listen to Ricky and, of course, the two of us talk about uh, The Walking Dead over at the Santa State website. You can find the post for it there. So um, we were uh, somewhat unenthused by this episode of Walking Dead, but uh, yeah. I'll, 
you can check that out to see why there's um there's some entertaining uh math that we try to do in that so yeah there are some things in that episode that just do not add up (laughs) we'll move on to uh homeland though the clearing uh we were less than enthused last week after that fabulous episode five um this is episode seven what did you think I feel like, uh, you know, I made a comparison in my double review because I'm lazy because I didn't get to it last week uh, of Homeland this week between the uh, plot point in season two of Friday Night Lights that I'm not going to spoil with the plot point we've gotten with Dana, mm-hmm. uh, you know, starting a few weeks ago. And I feel like as it's kind of a similar situation of Friday Night Lights where I'm not crazy that they did it, but if they've got to do it, I think they handled it in a as interesting a way as they could this week. You know, mm-hmm. folding it in with Brody and Dana, uh, sorry, with Brody and Jessica, and sort of making them realize uh, just the, the the sort of moral quandaries they're going to find themselves in now that they're not exactly regular citizens. Um, and I feel like it's just going to, I feel like next week we're just going to get full on Brody breakdown, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, but yeah, I, and I, I really like the Brody and Carrie scene that we get, even, even if I feel like half of the rest of the season is going to be them making eyes at each other or doing more than that. Um, (laughs) which I'm okay with because they have ridiculous chemistry and whenever the two of them are in a scene together, it's always a good scene. So they do. And you wouldn't expect to, to buy that when, you know, he's married to Marina Baccarin, Mm -hmm. but you, but you do. So yeah, I, that's, that's, that's a, that's some heavy lifting right there. That's a that's a fortunate man. That is a man with too much in his life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Married to Marina Baccarin, having a fling with Claire Danes. Uh, well, sort of. And crazy Claire Danes, which is even better. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, th- I, th- I thought this week was stronger than last week for me. Yeah, definitely better than last week. I agree that they're executing the Dana stuff as, as good as could be hoped, um, given the stupid plot line that they decided to throw for her, throw in for her. Um the uh, the rest of the episode, eh, I, I'm looking forward to next week. I th- you know I feel like this last week was more of an off week. This week feels feels like we're starting to gear back up, and it looks like next week is Damian Lewis's Emmy submission episode. Unless <laughs> yeah, unless the, I thought I would have said that about Q and A, but we'll see. It should be good. Yeah. I oh and also I, w- I was kind of impressed at the fact that by the end of this episode I actually kind of felt bad for Finn. Mm-hmm. Because you know it's just there's nothing he can do about it. He's just, yeah. the, this is the life he's grown up in, and he's it's just made him kind of a dick, and he knows it, and there's nothing he can do. That yeah. was kind of sad. That's And that's impressive, because he was such a complete jackass last week, so... Yeah. I don't know, we'll, we'll see We'll see if they can salvage that. Uh, on Monday, we have The Voice, and the, the top 12 performed. It's, we'll see who America sends home now. I'm, I'm very glad that they've changed up the rules where each... It's not going to come down to one person from each team at the end, because... At the you know in this particular top twelve and last year too last or you know in this January the the previous season at least the best singers uh, at least two of the best singers were on the same team last time and it was a real uh, frustration to see one of them get sent home and then somebody else win um, because of that I, and so this year I like that no matter who your coach is America decides who's in the top you know the 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 top um, ten and then eight and then six. Etc. Uh, the the other thing I have to say, uh, there were a couple good performances, or, 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 or very good performances. A lot of most of them were just fine. Really, who sings "My Heart Will Go On" at this point? It, it can't. It's never a good choice. It's just no. At the best, except you can sound for, like except for fifty-five-year-old women in the shower. 
Well, it's like you, you the best that you can get is you sound like a bad ripoff of Celine Dion. Like you do a good job trying to be Celine Dion. That's the best that you can hope for. There's no way to put an individualized stamp on my heart will go on if you're going to sing it in the diva style. Um, no matter what Christina might say to her in, when she's giving her, you know, praise at the end. Um, the the thing I want to mention about The Voice that's frustrating me this season is that for a show that's called The Voice that has blind auditions, most of the people on that show, this show is, are pretty damn beautiful. They're very pretty people. And uh, when this was supposed to be a show where they, you know, it didn't matter what you looked like, it only mattered what you sounded like. They really are very focused on what, and the coaches too, are also very focused on what everybody looks like, and that's that's frustrating because it breaks the initial contract with the viewers of what the show is supposed to be. Well, and um, not not you know. having seen this season, I I think it just really points out that as much as they make they made a big deal about oh the judges can't can't see yeah but the producers can but the producers can and and they've clearly cast for that this season, the first season and even the second season to an extent. They were not doing that. They might have actually been intentionally casting the other way, casting for people who look unusual. But this season, they have clear. They're with the number of young, like sixteen-year-olds who have good voices and are and are some very you know variation from cute to gorgeous. They clearly wanted to have that. And there's there's only one person on the, left on the show who looks any in any way unusual. And uh, I'm rooting for him because he's got an awesome voice. That's Nicholas. But no, there were a couple of really good performances and uh, Trevor Hunt continues to hit it out of the park every single week. And uh, yeah, I look forward to, to the next episode as much as the judges have or the coaches have been frustrating me. And our final show in our weekend TV is Revolution, the ties, uh, ties that bind. I'm also ready to break up with Revolution. You? Yeah, maybe not quite that severe. I I feel like it could get back on its feet because it's just, it ke- keeps adding good actors like Colm Fiore is in here now, and I love that dude. And they, they've now got three great villain actors, although they were sort of making Esposito not so much a villain, which is a terrible, terrible idea. Terrible, terrible idea. idea. Oh, Undo anyway. it as fast as you uh, can. Yeah, seriously. Make him kill his son while you're at it. Uh, but... Um, yeah, I, I I kind of feel like there's a perfect show if someone were were to mash up Walking Dead and Revolution because they kind of exist in the same universe anyway, <laughs> and yeah, just have bring zombies to Revolution and kill off all the annoying characters and get the good cast members we have in Revolution add them to Walking Dead and smash mm-hmm. them into the Walking Revolution or whatever I don't know, but um yeah that show I would I would definitely be completely into but this one is is frustrating me I I feel like I. Maybe not totally break up with it, but wait a few weeks and see if maybe it picks up with the pacing and it's not just another rescue of another kidnapping, more family value stuff, and in this case, the worst flashbacks I've seen so far. Yeah, the um, it's something that that you said that when we were talking about this earlier uh, about how the the good act, the good cast, and the the you know for me at least the sword fights and the cooler parts of the show are in a constant struggle with the some of the terrible dialogue and and uh and and um some the of the plot bad... non mechanics yeah the plot that the, the fact that the plot is not moving at all uh so the, those two sides are kind of struggling and the past few weeks the my frustration with the with the some of the writing and with the plot has really been winning over kick ass sword fights and Jean Carlos Bazio you know being the scariest person you've ever seen smile. Uh, so I, I, they they need to 
rejigger a few things, but I, you know, I this it's starting to feel like a chore to watch. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm not officially dumping it yet, but it's it's on the uh, it's in the penalty it's box, and we'll see how long. The penalty it... box. Penalty. Oh, they said the, uh, yeah. Very different. Wow. All right. Yeah. It's 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 on the it's on the breakup bubble for sure. Yeah. We're gonna take a quick break here, listen to some music, and come back with our spotlight on Treme. <laughs> That was a clip of the Marine Corps um, band playing in last week's episode of Treme, Promised Land. Uh, And we didn't talk about Treme last week because we hadn't seen it uh, yet. And then we both watched the episode after you finished recording and went, ah, crap, it was amazing. We should have spotlighted it. So So we're spotlighting it now, bitches. So we're doing it now. We're we're, mashing the two together, doing a double spotlight on Treme last week and this week. So let's start with with last week. That's got to be the best Mardi Gras episode they've done yet, right? Well, I I, I didn't catch season two, but I can't really imagine them topping this. Uh, It it was great. Uh, And I I feel like they've they've hit a real sweet spot, especially with with Big Chief Mm -hmm. and his um, sort of him beginning his chemotherapy and... Well, which actually happens in the following episode, but sort of that that bittersweet sense of his possible last hurrah, and they they, it's one of the great things about David Simon stuff is that it's he he's basically never schmaltzy. He can he can be he can get a little bit sentimental, but it's never too much, and uh, so so actually this plotline is a surprisingly good fit for his sensibility, um, and uh, yeah, every, everything to do with him and and his and his two kids, their interactions, I thought is is all very solid. Uh, I'm shocked at how much I'm enjoying Sophia's stuff. Yeah, considering how annoying she used to be, uh, and I, her sort of flirtation with the LP are, are sort of sad and awkward and hilarious at the same time. Mm. Um, Anthony Anderson is a fantastic addition. Mm-hmm. Should have been there from the beginning. So great. So um, great. To have although him I was on. I was confused though because the first time he showed up, I thought he was playing himself. Uh, well, he's playing, you know, maybe a fictionalized version of himself back before he broke through. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Uh, but uh, he's really great, you know, to have on the show. And uh, it's nice to see a competent waiter on their staff. I love his uh, breakdown of the, uh, the the bloggers. It's like based on their yes. shoes. It's like shoes don't uh, lie. Although, <laughs> and also, is there anyone on TV who's on two more divergent shows? Oh, gosh. Anthony Anderson. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> well, you, I imagine for him, it's got to be, you know, got to be so nice to have it's like a paid this vacation. area at the same time. Well, just like, I promise I'm good. Look, watch me on Treme. Don't judge me by guys with kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but when you talk about Big Chief, I, I think he really steals the show in, in the Mardi Gras episode. And he's also really good in the episode from this week as well. Uh uh, don't don't you leave me here and uh i i think one of the really great things that they have done with him is pairing him up with ladonna having those two characters interact because they do feel like they feel like the two most similar characters on the show as far as 
personality and they they, they clearly understand each other yeah. really well just and and they've have they've barely interacted i mean because you know they're they're they know each other now but it's not like they're bosom buddies or anything like that but they just they they know that that is a kindred soul and so it's been great watching clark peters and candy yeah. alexander play yeah, off and of actually each other. even though promised land is i think is the stronger of the two episodes i think my favorite scene in either episode was their with their conversation in in uh in the one we got this week yeah um where um where he sort of tries to comfort her when she's uh being confronted by her um the, you know the people that she's going up uh, to trial with the the, and, the the men who assaulted her yeah yeah and um and he's and and, he, and, she, and she says oh it's easy for you not to be scared and he says no it isn't mm-hmm. and that was that was it, it it again like in the in the hands of like lesser actors i think that could have been a really uh, really corny moment but it really wasn't well it's because it's it's full of meaning and because we know each of these characters so well we 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 know that he's not full of shit in that moment and, and there's so th- those scenes are great but then we also get oh man i'm just getting dusty thinking about it the scene in in promised land with them watching trouble the waters which i yeah. haven't seen yet but if you know and that's one of those like grave of the fireflies that I'm not I know that I need to see but I don't know that I want to put myself through that but just watching that 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 sequence of of first Delman watching you know like half watching and then he gets sucked in and then everybody else gets sucked in and then Albert comes over and and is watching and I'm curious what you think why do you think he walks away do you think it's anger do you think it's disgust do you think it's it this doesn't matter what matters is I need to finish my suit that's that's the way I took it. It, it, it I, I felt like he, he he had that moment of recognizing, okay, this is this is accurate, and mm-hmm. this and this is awful. But you know, I got I got some more work to do. Yeah, and this this won't help anything. Yeah, that yeah. too. Um, and I and I loved um watching that interaction with Rob Brown and Clark Peters after just no words, just you know, Delman walks over, and I feel like that's when he first starts to understand his dad. And then he then he starts sewing and it goes back to work too. It's good. It's, I'm just getting mm-hmm. all emotional. You talk. Am I the only one who feel as as much as I love DJ Davis? I, I kind of feel like his plotline in general has been sort of music nerd wish fulfillment. <laughs> in that he's he's been courting two awesome ladies over the course of the show, mm-hmm. and that yeah, that doesn't happen at DJs. <laughs> well, I record. do. I think that. Um... I think that what we're seeing him deal with is really interesting, and it's something that we haven't seen the other musicians quite deal with. Um, I, I do think that we're supposed to believe, and I believe as well, I can I buy into this, that he has a lot of really great ideas, and, you know, with where could be, maybe his opera in his head is great and could be fantastic, but he's not, he wishes he was a musician, but he's not good enough. And so it's like, it's like he, you know, people who, who can write but can't act the people who can compose but can't play and, and mm. watching him struggle with that has been really interesting i loved his mozart get up that was hilarious uh i don't know if he was supposed to be mozart but when you stick the baton in there you know i think i thought that worked um and i did want to punch him in the face and reach into this tv and strangle him for cheating on annie um we'll see what it's hell i don't know <laughs> but it's annie okay <laughs> It's but, yeah, but they're, Janelle, they're Jeanette is also Jeanette is awesome. Yes, but you don't cheat on Annie, especially her last boyfriend was hitting her. Come on, girl needs a break. 
She does. But well, she's getting other breaks in other senses. Oh, yes. Um, it's okay. It's okay. Because she's having musical and career success, it's okay that her, her live-in <laughs> boyfriend is cheating on her. That's okay. No, no. It's it's not okay. But, you know, you can't <sighs> win them all at the same time. No. Bullshit. <laughs> I demand more for this character. No. And anyway, Annie's great. But, I, I, I yeah, I, I like that dynamic with Davis. And I also really like the stuff we're getting with Antoine this week where he feels the need to... Mm-hmm. He feels as though he's become complacent as a musician and yeah, is quite angst-ridden about it. And I think that's another tack we haven't seen either, or mm-hmm. that I've never seen anywhere, really. Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of a fascinating... Uh, I'm, I'm real, very curious to see where, where that's going to end up. Well, and I like the way they got to that with with Jennifer and, and you know, and, and that emotional, that connection with that student being what's sort of made him reevaluate where he's at. And th- th- those scenes that we get with, uh, with Jennifer and Antoine, um, it was really the episode before promised land where we got most of that, but also in promised land, uh, you know, it's like where, where he's saying as a musician, you never stop learning. You, you can't. And, and, and that's, it, and also just the, how much we've seen him learn from his students as someone who, is a musician who teaches students. That is a hundred percent accurate. You learn from teaching all the time, and so I've really enjoyed watching him grow uh, in maturity, and also as we will, I assume, continue to see in musicianship through his interaction with these kids and through this job that he was so loath to take to start with. Um, and it's something that so many musicians deal with. You know, you want to be able to play, but you gotta earn a living. You pretty much all musicians have to teach. Um, if you know, unless you're playing the CSO or your Yo-Yo Ma or whatever, you're going to have to teach. Um, and so to watch his growth has been great. I just, I really don't want to see him get back into playing more and go off and cheat on Desiree all over the place. I don't think they're going to do that at this point, but I we'll hope see. not. I, I kind of feel like they already did the, uh, the falling back in old habits plot line with Sunny and that was thankfully short-lived. Yeah, and, and I'm glad how how quickly that was a turnaround. Also, you know, with with these Mardi Gras episodes, so much of it is is people, you know, just getting drunk and happy, and that's their day. So to see Mardi Gras from the perspective of somebody really struggling to stay sober, um, I think was was interesting as well. So it, Sunny's not my favorite. I make no bones about that, uh, but I, I liked that that element of Mardi the Mardi Gras episode. Mm-hmm. The Sunny stuff is growing on me, and I thought his proposal in this last episode was really sweet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's going to be a fun scene, watching him ask Tran for his daughter's hand. That's going to be... Yes, it will. Hilarious. So, any final thoughts on Treme other than everybody should be watching? Um, nope, everybody should be watching Treme. Uh, preferably from the start of the season or earlier, but, you know, it's... Even if you're even if you're not really apprised of the plot points, like especially just jumping into the David Moore stuff is going to be really confusing. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, it's just such a great show to luxuriate in. And I think it's better than ever. I think this is the best season. And between this episode, this sorry, the Mardi Gras episode, uh, Promised Land, and then Careless Love, which was episode three or four this season, I think they've had two of the best of the entire run. I think those two are definitely in the top five. And so, I'm I'm just I'm loving the show. Oh, and I gotta say. Big Chief is very pretty. The Red Chief, I think, was prettier. I don't, yeah, especially the head, the, that, the headdress yeah. the, thing the was horns. pretty nuts. It was ridiculous. It was so beautiful and strange, and oh, I loved it. Yeah, that was great. 
So uh, that we're going to hit a few show notes here before we go to our DVD shelf. Uh, our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. You can find us upstreaming at soundonsite.org, and there'll be a post for this. You can leave a comment there. Let us know what you're thinking of all these different things. Let us know if you check out Treme. Tell us. We'd love to hear you know, from other people who are watching Treme. Uh, what should our question of the week be? Uh... Oh, by the way, last week uh, we asked about what shows need to speed up their pacing. Apparently, The Office really needs to speed up their pacing. Which is funny because it's not, isn't it on its last season? Yep, but still, apparently people want it to hurry on up. <laughs> Ooh, that is sad. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, that's 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 most likely a good answer, although I haven't been watching it. Um, maybe now that we're sort of a few weeks into the uh, in, into the new season, actually significantly into the new season, is there? I'm wondering what shows, since we're thinking of breaking up with stuff. What uh, show you know, should we jump people... back on with? Yeah, what should we jump back on with, and what what are people maybe considering jumping ship on? Okay, that's cool. Yeah, let us know where where you're at with all these you know all these new shows and which ones are have won you over long term. Um, we we will uh, also we're also up in iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. We would love if you guys left a rating or review for us there. It helps other people find the show. You can also of course send us out on uh, you know tweet us out and uh, Facebook and all that stuff would be great too. There's a sound on site page. I, I haven't gotten around to putting up a Televerse page yet. I I do only have so much time. I'm looking into doing that in the future, but for now you can reach us there on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. You are at Sucker Howl. And, of course, you can always email us at televerse at gmail.com. And one more time before we go into our DVD shelf, spoilers for all of Battlestar and a kind of very vague, vague one vague spoiler for the Lost uh, finale. But been not warned. really. But not really. It's it's fine. You'll be fine. Um, so this we're going to listen to a clip and some music and come back with Josh Spiegel of Masterpiece Cinema to talk Battlestar Galactica. Moments ago, this ship received word the silent attack against our home world is underway. Humanity's children are returning home today. There are less than 50,000 of us left. This war is over. We lost. Now we're on the run. Yes, we're tired. Yes, the Cylons keep coming after us time after time. And yes, we are still expected to do our jobs. Without all the risk, life is so dull. Do it. This is the first day of the new era.
back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, we are talking Battlestar Galactica. And unfortunately for a few of, the, of you out there, I do not mean the original. Uh, I'm sure a couple of people got really excited there for a moment. We were talking about the 2004 reboot or reimagining, I guess, of the series. And here to help us talk Battlestar is Josh Spiegel from Masterpiece Cinema. Josh, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. So Battlestar, uh, what, why is this a show that, that you enjoy? Why is this one, one of the shows you want to talk about? Well, because like Lost, a show that I believe you've already covered in the DVD shelf, it always swung for the fences, went big, and never, it never really tried, it, it never really had the issue of not trying hard enough, I would say. And in terms of sci-fi, it worked for me about as well as Lost did. I will say that because it swung for the fences all the time, that meant that it hit home runs a good amount, but it also struck out a few times. I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it later. There are definitely some, market. Some, yeah, <laughs> there are definitely some real stinkers. Like this is one of the shows where it's kind of like with certain filmmakers where when they're good, they're really good. And when they're bad, they are atrocious. <laughs> but I think more often than not, this show really worked for me. I, even though at the very beginning it did not, I actually... I was encouraged by a family member to watch the show. I watched the miniseries with my wife, and we both nearly fell asleep. We were so immensely bored by it. So I, for a couple of years, I just gave up on it. And then I, once again, I, the same family member told me, watch the show. You really have to give it a try. He told me specifically, wait until the episode where there's a time limit of 33 minutes. Once you get to that episode, you're going to be hooked. And that's the first episode. <laughs> yeah, and that well, yeah. He his his memory of the way T, arcane TV references are. He didn't really have a good idea about that. But yeah, it was the next episode, thirty three, and of course that was a great episode that hooked me immediately. Where the miniseries, even the second time through, I thought, okay, I kind of remember this. I kind of know where it's going, but it didn't hook me automatically. But once I got to the the actual show really sucked me in and it never really let go. Yeah, I've, I've heard that before from people, actually, that they didn't care for the miniseries, but then they watched 33 and, and that, that sucked them in, which I don't, you know, I've, I've obviously you are a very intelligent person and this is the reaction you had, but I don't really understand because I feel like the miniseries, I really like the miniseries and I feel like it was so tonally what the show became. That I, I'm, conf you know, I don't really see the disconnect. Is it just? I think it's that it just took a while to act, get going because once you get to 33, the characters are in these very are, are in the like they have been displaced. They've they've mm -hmm. been blown off of, you know, the, the silence have attacked. They are in their kind of recovery mode. They're on the Galactica or they're on the the president's ship, and it, it, it felt like it was actually moving. Like the 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 miniseries is just a lot of exposition. A lot of, for me, very draggy stuff, getting all the, the pieces in place. Okay. Once 33 happens, that's when it felt like it actually could move. Like, somehow it felt like getting all the stuff set up was almost hampering the yeah. show, in a way. I could see that, especially um, because, well, of course, this was, you know, conceived as a backdoor pilot, as, uh, you know, for, to become a show, become a, you know, weekly series if, you know, it had enough positive reception. But they also wanted it to be, you know, so so it has to do with had to do with the baggage of being a, a reimagining of you know the original series, as well as fitting into a miniseries format and without really getting too many solutions because they wanted to make it into into a show. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think I think Thirty Three has got to be one of one of the best pilots. I watched it this time because I, I skipped the miniseries 
in preparing for this because I wanted to watch 33 fresh and to see if if you didn't see the miniseries, could you just jump in with that first episode? And I, I mean, I came to the conclusion, I think you can. I, I think it's really quite a remarkable series for a number of reasons that I'm sure we'll talk about. But before we get to my gushing over yet another genre, uh, soon-to-be classic, uh, Simon, what what was your take? You had some uh, issues with Lost, but ultimately came out in the positive end of the spectrum. What was your relationship with Battlestar? I, I think... Josh making the lost comparison was very astute because I, to me, they're both shows that like, like he, like Josh said, are very ambitious with a, a mixed success rate. That's, I would say for, I think Battlestar's success rate is a little better. I'd say it's about 65, 35 in terms of good material to. That's so to, harsh to lost. To, <laughs> that's so not accurate uh, for either show. That's okay though. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, Lost is probably sixty forty. It's it's close, but I, I've I've thought about this. Battlestar is about sixty five thirty five. Um, it's no, and it's no surprise that I think that almost all of that sixty five is in the first two and a half seasons. Um, I think what's so great about thirty three is also what's not so great about um about the last part of the show. By which I mean, thirty three is so urgent and establishes the stakes immediately and i guess it helps that they had the miniseries which i agree with josh is not very good um to establish who the characters are and especially in relation to each other and so it has that issue out of the way it it, it kind of makes you wish that more shows got the opportunity to do that so they could have a kick-ass pilot but um then when we the further we get into mysticism and you know rdm's ideas about spirituality and blah 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 the further away we get from that urgency to me and the further away we get from the from what i feel was so compelling at first for being such a human story about survival and and you know and military or you know naval if you want to put it that way honor and dishonor and ethics and and um uh you know the the more we get away from that and the more we get into the eye of jupiter and ghosts and I guess we—I don't know how much we want to talk about where the show ends up just yet, but um, I do feel like, with the exception of of a, a really great run in the middle of season four, about, about three or four episodes during the attempted coup period, I do feel like the last section of the show is just kind of pretty much loses me. I'm glad you mentioned that attempted coup, Simon, because I was going to say that was up there for me with the Pegasus arc from season two as being one of the best single sections of the overall show, just in terms of tension and emotion and character. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to jump. I agree with you, actually. That is a, not only is that arc well done, but it's utterly in keeping with character in a way that other shows maybe aren't when they want to, you know, we need a twist. We need uh, a character to have a betrayal. Um, This, you know, you can see it, Go, coming for for you know even seasons um and, and i so I, I thought that was something that was such a left turn in a way but but you know upon reflection felt totally driven by character however i will disagree with uh with the two of you because i still you know while perhaps the rest of the, of the show never really lives up to like you guys said the urgency of season one I, and you know it's such a tight like 12 episodes or 13 episodes there's only like maybe a couple slight down uh, down episodes in that bunch. I don't think the show ever really matched that for consistency. 
Uh, but I still really like season four. I like the finale. Uh, I And I absolutely will defend the show's uh, driftings into mysticism because I, I, for a number of reasons, but what big one is that this is a show that actually talks about religion and investigates it. What's, you know, other than like, what, Seventh Heaven? Can you think of another show that honestly takes a hard look at religion? Does it, though? There I'm was that sure. one episode of Arrested Development where Anne has her father who's a pastor. <laughs> Ellen Tudyk. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, and, and let me just clarify. I, I want to say I, I like season four on the whole as well. I, I, I think that season four is definitely a case where they bit off more than they could chew, I think, on the whole. And I would also say I mostly like the finale. I, I'm sure we'll get into the one very obvious part of the finale that – I definitely don't think it works. And I think it's pretty, it's a common uh, criticism, I think, yeah. within the ending of the film. Oh, but I mean, that had some great payoffs, you know, the way that that ended. The one thing this show could really, really play on your emotions very well, much more so than Lost did. Like Lost, I'll be honest, both Lost and Battlestar Galactica had series finales that made me well up. But Battlestar Galactica on the whole was more emotional than Lost ever was, I think. Or it worked on on my emotions better. Well, I, I think that's because, and this, the major advantage to me that Battlestar has over Lost is it has more compelling characters more consistently. Um, you know, Lost has a couple of characters that you like or that that you that you care about all the way through. You know, Hurley. Um... Mm. <laughs> well, there's, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of characters I think on Lost that you care about. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think most viewers will have different characters that they identify yeah. with and that they but, care about. But there's no character on Lost that comes anywhere close to Starbuck. There's not a character on Lost. For me, I guess maybe Locke comes close to Ty. But th there are several characters on, on Battlestar that even if you don't necessarily like ever, all everywhere that their journey takes them, they're in the conversation of top 20 characters of all time. Yeah, well, I mean... That's tricky because I, I agree that Ty is absolutely compelling all the way through. Yes. Um, Adama. I, I loved Adama. I love Adama, Roslyn. Adama's great. Roslyn was great. I'd say even Gaius Baltar, mm -hmm. even as an odious villain, he was so compelling. And, and I guess talking about, you guys mentioned, I forget which one of you mentioned left turns. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things I really loved about the way the character work went. One thing I remember from that miniseries was thinking to myself, oh, that guy Carl, he's going to be dead soon, I guess. Right. <laughs> and yeah. every episode you kept coming back to him and I kept thinking to myself, how is this character still alive? How are they keeping like I'm surprised. Like I kept being shocked that they wouldn't just off this guy. And he's like, I couldn't believe that they like they kept surprising me even from the beginning with the way the character work went and the way these characters connected and then disconnected from each other. Just really fascinating. I Actually, I, and Simon, I know you want to jump back in here, but I, the thing I, I you mean, Carl, you mean uh, Hilo, right? Carl Agathon? Hilo, yeah, yeah. I forgot his nickname, but that was his real, Carl was his first name, right? Yeah, Carl the Agathon. the actual, uh, the original plan was to just never come back to him, and he was just on Caprica and dead. <laughs> and, and that but, would have made perfect sense. Nobody would have questioned that, I don't think. But then the, the you know, Ron, Ron Moore, the creator, uh, or I guess reimaginer, if you want to say that, uh, the developer. <laughs> yeah, talk to talk to people after they screened the the miniseries, and they uh, heard from several different people. Oh, I can't wait to see what happens with with Heal. That's totally crazy. How are they gonna? And he's like, Oh, well then, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't kill him. <laughs> but Simon, I have a feeling you wanted to get in here, maybe a little talk about Starbuck. 
Uh, well, I mean, I don't think there's any disputing that first two, sorry, um, is it first three seasons? When does Starbuck die? In, towards me. the end of season three. Three, right. Yeah. Pre-death Starbuck is one of my favorite characters on any contemporary TV show. Post-death Starbuck bores me to tears. <laughs> now, I, I see I see Starbuck when she comes back as uh, sort of, she, the character goes on a journey um, and at first she just spends all of her time screaming. <laughs> um, and so I can see how that gets tiresome. But I actually, I, by, from, by the time she finds her body, and by the way, I guess, full spoilers, obviously, <laughs> yeah. go, should go yes. without saying, but, you know, we're going to get into the finale here relatively soon, I'm sure, and absolutely full spoilers. Uh, when, when By the time Starbuck finds her body and is trying to figure out, and, and from there, I, I re-engage with the character. In a way that I, I do like think I do think that scene, the scene of her burying herself, is very touching, and I kind of feel like they RDM conceived this whole arc just to have that scene, but uh, after that, really just a snooze fest, I think. Okay, how how about you? Uh, how about you, Josh? I mean, I don't think I had that big of a problem with it, but I do think that the way that Starbuck kind of was developed in the last part of season four didn't really pay off in the way that I guess I was hope. I, I didn't really have any firm hopes. By this point in the show, I knew, hey, you know what? I don't know what to expect with this show. But I I felt like it were they were leading me to some bigger revelation about her than when I got. It just kind of felt... It just felt a little too vague, a little too enigmatic at the end, I guess. I, mean, I, I think that Katie Stackoff was so good on the show, even in the later episodes, that it was problematic but it wasn't intensely problematic but it was always kind of an issue for me like a well, niggling issue well i think that speaks to the the approach that ron moore and david ike and the writers had on the show which is both a good thing and a bad thing where they had a generalized idea of wh where they were going i think they knew i would guess they knew um where they that this when they started that this was set in the past and that they would eventually find earth and it would be a a husk of a dead planet and it would make for an awesome cliffhanger and that eventually they would end up on our earth. Um, but there, de there are definitely things that they didn't, that they weren't sure about. And one of them was, was Starbuck. And so I think when they brought her, when they killed her off, it was an amazing episode. I think we would probably all agree. Um, and when they brought her back for me, at least that moment was amazing. I love the end of that season three finale. Um, with the song and with everything, and uh, uh, it's really effective for me. But I think they then they had a problem of how to use her, and I don't think they really it figured that out for a little bit of how to. Originally, they were going to have her be all like Gandalf the White, Starbuck the White, you know, very calm and serene. And then they figured out that wasn't working, so they redid all of her early scenes in the next season. Um, and so, so the thing, so that was maybe something that didn't work about that approach. But then. So the things that do work is you get Hilo comes on and becomes a huge character in this series. I think they, they realize that Trisha Helfer is one hell of an actress. And so they start using her more. And I, I think that what the, in general, though, maybe it doesn't work with Starbuck season four. The, this approach, I think, is my favorite um, between all planned out, all flying by the seat of your pants. I think this somewhere in the middle approach tends to be the most successful. I, I do Works wonder. For Breaking Bad a lot too, yeah. yeah. Well, Bre Breaking Bad, yeah, takes that middle approach, or, or actually, Breaking Bad seems to vary season by season. Like season three, 
I remember they were going totally by the seat of their pants, and it's actually still the best season. <clears throat> but, but season two um, was more rigidly planned, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that had was great, but had its issues. Um, so yeah, now they seem to be on a middle path, and it seems to be more or less working for them. Um, the I, I do wonder how much the imp- the improv school of epic storytelling uh, works when we get to that finale, if only because if you were to add up all the scenes of Rosalind and company pouring over books of prophecy and discarding them and going back over them and, and trying to suss out how all this stuff fits together. Um, it would probably be quite a lot of TV that I watched. And then, and then for what we get by the end of the show, I'm not really sure the time investment was worth it. Okay. Fair enough. And that's the argument a lot of people have about the lost finale, why they weren't satisfied with it. I mean, at least least this time we don't get a plug in a cave. (laughs) Touche. We get we get Angel slash Ghost Starbuck, which for some people is just as frustrating. Though I I, you know, I go with it. Um, but let, let's talk about the finale uh, briefly here. I don't want to I don't want to spend all of our time on it, but it is a significant you know at least amongst TV fans, amongst genre fans, it was a very divisive finale. Though except for that one thing you were mentioning, Josh earlier, I think we can all agree that the the robot montage at the end is terrible. <laughs> Yes. I'd say the entire epilogue by itself just does not even need to be there at all, you know, for a number of reasons. First of all, so many big fans of the show recognize that it's Ronald D. Moore who's actually making a cameo appearance, like as the guy who holds the, the magazine. Yeah, who the inner vault mm-hmm. are in inner six are reading the newspaper from. I just think that the entire thing is unnecessary and distracting. It's a case where one thing that the show was really cre- was credited for over its five year, a uh, five year but four season run was it was able to tackle real world issues in mm-hmm. a way that didn't seem overly pedantic or pretentious. And then here is this ending where it's pretty much literally Ronald D. Moore looking at the audience saying, do you get my point? Do you get what I'm saying? This is my point. And it's just completely, and especially since it comes right after a really sweet and powerful moment with Adama finding the place where he's going to build the cabin. He sits down, he's, he buries Rosalind. That is a great moving ending. That's all we need. We don't need the epilogue. Well, and I think that also comes out of, you know, aside from, you know, the potential desire of, of Ron Moore to, to hammer home his point, I think it also shows, I think it was also done because they were, they wanted to make sure they got the answer in of why Hera was special. And that's how they were going to, they, that's how they're answering it. They're like, oh, she's mitochondrial Eve. And I, and I think that we would have been better off just not having that, you know, they could answer it in questions afterwards or, you know, in emails to the fans or put it like a a special video on the DVD of this epilogue. But I I agree that I don't think the episode needs it, though. I, I do enjoy, uh, head six and head Baltar walking around. They're always fun. So I'm okay with that, but I, I would agree in general. About mitochondrial Eve, I feel like we don't even need to have that explanation because they uh, they land on Earth and it's clearly nowhere near modern day. Mm-hmm. They can see these primitive humans. We don't. Need, we can just assume. I bet they're supposed to be the you know the the progenitors of humanity. That's all we need to know. There's no more. I, again, I feel like it's a case where they treated the audience very intelligently throughout the rest of the series. This was a case where it felt like he he didn't trust people which is weird because they stuck with him for this long. But that that's that's my point. Fair enough. Uh, Simon. 
I don't know, for, for all the foo over the last few minutes of the episode, to me, the obvious, the, the episode peaks with Dean Stockwell blowing his brains out. Ah, oh, for me, it's Tyrell choking. <laughs> the chief chokes a bitch, and he doesn't care that it's going to kill all of them. I love it. Uh, yeah, that too. Um, <laughs> the uh, Although, um, to, to rewind a bit, you mentioned, Josh, that the show managed to avoid being pedantic. I'm being, I'm going to be really negative for a while before I get positive. Um <laughs> I know that the early season three arc is has been praised widely. Yeah, it's because it's amazing. For its oh good, for <laughs> its um for its you know very thinly veiled allegorical handling of the Iraq War, which you know I get that it was brave, and I get that it was bold, but I also found it a little bit on the unsubtle side. A little bit on the head-smacking side, but maybe that's only watching it in retrospect. Yeah, I didn't feel that at the time. I was watching it. I was watching it live, um, and uh, I, I'm curious, Josh, if you were what your reaction was. But because I mean, the, one of the things that I think with this, especially the season three um, New Caprica storyline, is that, and maybe the, it's not fair to judge the show through this lens, but like nobody was watching Battlestar in the mainstream. It, it was on sci-fi channel. There was a small core of, you know, of TV fans and of genre fans who were going, no, really it's a good show, but pretty much nobody was watching it. And so I think it's, it's become far more mainstream and far more um, watched and uh, analyzed since then, since, you know, it's, it's been off the air. Um, and so maybe that's why we're seeing, you know, I feel like if, if they, if they went too much more, if they went a lot more subtle than they than what they did, I think it would have just gone completely over most people's heads, and that maybe that that doesn't matter. Maybe that's you know maybe that's just making myself making excuses for the show, but it didn't feel heavy handed to me at the time, and I do think it, it was the only show talking about this stuff. You know, this is a this is a show that is very much defined by its role um, as a post nine eleven show. It's like Battlestar and 24 were kind of the Again, two Arrested shows. Development had a lot of post-9-11 themes, guys. You keep forgetting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Noscar.com. Uh, but uh, uh, so for me, you know, I, I think the the fact that they go into that, the fact that they, you know, actually explore these themes of, of um, unhealable hurt and destruction um, and what what is humanity I think I think the the benefits of that outweigh p- potential heavy-handedness. Though I I did not rewatch the uh, New Caprica arc, I haven't rewatched that recently. So maybe if I rewatched it, I would disagree. But for me, for me, it it, it worked. Josh, what about you? Uh, yeah, it worked for me as well. I think partly because the, the way that I watched this, I remember it well because as I said, I tried watching it at one point. I think around 2006, the miniseries didn't interest me. And then I tried it again in late 2008, and that got me involved. So basically, I ended up marathoning the entire show all the way up to the finale. Like, I remember literally recording the last 10 episodes of season four, part two, whatever, (laughs) the day of the finale, so I could catch up with it. So, I mean, I was, at that point, I was, like, mainlining the show, essentially. So (laughs) it definitely didn't have a, it didn't strike me as a problem because I got through, I blew through it so quickly. So I... 
I, I liked it. I don't think it stands out for me as being negative in the way that, say, that episode Black Market that I think Kate might have mentioned a little earlier. <laughs> uh, that episode leaves a sour taste in my mouth. So, Oh, there's definitely no comparison. No, I mean, I'm curious to rewatch it again at some point. So, I mean, I might, again, reevaluate it. But I, I didn't have a problem with it then. Well, and the other thing is that Michael Hogan is doing such great work throughout the, that arc as as Ty and you know and and Katie Sackoff as well, and not to mention you know everything we're getting with uh, with, with all of our, our our minor characters. Fat Lee maybe a little less uh, interesting, but uh, but but a lot of the performers are giving utterly engrossing performances. So I think I was just connected enough in with the characters that the the overarching themes didn't feel as uh as ham-fisted as perhaps you know if you weren't as engaged uh that that they might have come across yeah yeah but for me this is a show that does more than even seasons uh i guess the first season feels like a piece but after that first season it feels like a series of arcs to me so you have the adama's shot ties in charge arc and then you have the pegasus arc or or like the you know the roslin's rebellion and then you have Cobalt, and then you have Pegasus, and then, you know, there's a number of these different mini, like half, even half a half episode, I guess, arcs. Are there ones that stand out for you guys as the most successful or your favorites? Again, for me, Pegasus is the one that I always go to. I, I thought that was just so incredibly tense and unexpected. You know, I'd seen Michelle Forbes in a few different programs here and there, but this was just on another level. The way that they were able to build that tension was just insane to me and i would say it's close to the uh the attempted coup that gata and uh who is the character i'm already forgetting his name the one that richard hatch played zarek yeah that zarek that the two of them that they tried to start that coup again incredibly tense stuff and i think what i liked especially about i guess both of those arcs is that they felt that it felt like nothing was safe no one was safe in a way where it's like we are going to do whatever we can to make the best possible show like they were it felt like the characters were expendable in a way especially the way that the uh the coup ends obviously it's close to the end of the series but the way that those two characters are dispatched and the almost the heartlessness of ending it literally right as gata is supposed to be executed and then he says the phantom the pain is gone i don't feel it anymore suddenly he's dead like that kind of stuff is just really tough and uncompromising in a way that I, I like because I don't see it in a lot of other TV shows. So I remember every time watching, the, you know, between each season watching this show, because, you know, like I, I started watching it with the miniseries Alive on TV. Uh, you'd read interviews with the cast or, or, or with the creators in between seasons. And as, as each season geared up, they, they would say, it's getting dark. You know, like, we're, we're really getting dark this season. It's like, how much darker can you get? You know, as it just gets more and more. Yeah, you think after New Caprica, there's only so much darker you can get. And then you have, we have the stuff with D. And then we have the stuff with Gata. It, it, it really is a show that embraces the anyone can go and just the, the, the existentialism of this kind of situation. Well, and I think. For me, I, I I agree that the the coup arc may actually be my single favorite, even though it's nested in the middle of my least favorite season. Uh, and the reason it's it's my favorite arc, especially in in context, is it really brings the focus right back to the stuff that I that I think is at the heart of the show, the the, the human element. To me, that there there's no there's no Cylon. Wow, it's like I can't believe it's the first time we've said the word Cylon, and then we're at the twenty minute mark. Uh, there's a reason. There's no Cylon-centric arc or, you know, 
I, what, what am I trying to say here? There's no Cylon material that's as interesting as the best human material. And I, or, unless it's humans trying to grapple with the fact that they're actually Cylons, which is really only great when you're talking about Ty, I think, uh, for the most part. And, I know there's uh, that really great scene with uh, with Cavill and uh, the Chief in season one or season two that just gets increasingly awesome the more you find out about those two characters. But yeah, I, I think whenever we return to that to that intensely human focus, uh, what they do with D in that season is also uh, quite harsh. Uh, but you know it makes sense, and um, that's the material that mentally when I think about the best of Battlestar, that's what I always come back to without fail. Yeah, there are certain there's cer- certain moments that stick in my mind. I d- I do think the um the very opening of the show uh just works so wonderfully and just just because of the um we've already described the the pacing of the show but just the the focus on okay, this week we need water. This week we need fuel. It's like it's really basic stuff because when you're, you know, when you're in that kind of a post-apocalyptic situation and we see this on the walking dead uh in their better episodes and stuff those are the, the the most simple things are what are the most important and so while i love uh some of the stuff that comes later it doesn't have that universality that we get with um with those early episodes and then i would also say the um i mean i i love the, the pegasus arc is fabulous it was so wonderful like i already gave props to Trisha Helfer, but I'm going to say it again. It was so wonderful to get her to, to see her get to play such a totally different character than, than Caprica six or head six. And to, you know, it was like, Oh, I guess she can act. She isn't just a ridiculously gorgeous person. Um, so, so that, you know, the Pegasus stuff there. And then I, I really like the build to the end of season end of season three, that the end, that's end of that season three finale is incredibly successful. Um, as far as I'm concerned. So I guess those would be the ones that st- that stand out. Uh, are there any episodes we want to talk about as far as maybe <laughs> most successful and least successful? We've already said Black Market, but... Well, uh, I want to highlight... Yeah, Black Market is terrible, and we should speak of it as often as possible so as to shame <laughs> RDM out of ever trying anything <laughs> like that ever again. But I do want to highlight Unfinished Business from Season 3, Yeah, which the, some people don't like because episode. they're stupid. Um, a but, lot of people man, don't like it. it. And si- I, Simon, yeah. Simon, I, I, I resemble that remark. I think. <laughs> <laughs> do, no, you, I, do you not like this episode? Much, I don't dislike it that much, but I do think it was a little too melodramatic. It was a little too obvious. It's like, oh, boxing, and they're going to have fighting inside and outside the ring. It just it felt a little too pat. To me. I don't know. And I remember just... also that episode had like an extended edition yeah, that I think great. I ended up watching on DVD and it was endless. <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't watch the extended edition, but it's I. It's like a uh, half hour longer. It's yeah, a really... it's, it's really great. Is it all? I, I really hope it's all just characters beating the shit out of each other because that was. I don't know. I feel like all shows should have an episode in the middle of their run where, regardless of context, the, the, the characters just engage in a battle royale. Well, you do get to see more of uh, Adama and Rosalind getting high, uh, so there's there's more of that, and there's some other stuff too. But uh, I like that one, and I like the extended version. But no, that was I remember when that aired. It was a really, it was really an episode that split fans down the middle. Either they they for the most part they either hated it and thought it was all artsy fartsy and stupid, and they wanted to get back to the story, or they loved it because it was all artsy fartsy and they didn't care about the story, <laughs> and I followed the second camp. Yeah, so yeah, that's pretty much me too. Especially at that point, that's I, I remember that being in the middle of an arc I didn't particularly care about. 
for me, uh, basically, if it has Starbucks and she's crying, I probably like it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the farm and uh, the even the I think it's like episode two or three where we we get that the stuff about uh, Adama's uh, Apollo's brother and Adama's son with her backstory there. Uh, Scar, which you know, and the one with um, with Cat. That I can't remember. <laughs> um, Scar is another one that some people don't like, right? Which is stupid because it's another good one. I, I I'm I'm not sure unless unless uh, I remember less backlash about that one, but I, I do think there's some other good stuff. I love the the trial of Baltar, that two parter and that whole um, you know, I, I think one of the smartest things they did was jump forward that year before season three. Yeah. And, and and so you know there it was really startling for me when I was trying to think of what episodes to watch. I the ones that the ones that I remember the title of are all Starbuck episodes, even <laughs> though there are plenty of other characters on the show that I love. Uh, I do th- I did think that was interesting. I do I do think the trial is notable for that whole time that whole build up that we spend with Lee when he's like learning to be a lawyer and turning his back on the military is some of the most boring material any mm-hmm. character gets, but. His closing speech is probably the best scene he ever got. Yeah, and he nails it too. Yeah, which is surprising. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a speech like that can either be great or really just kind of unfortunate. <laughs> and uh, and I think he, he delivers well. Of course, it helps that we also get Roma Lampkin there, and I'm always a fan of Mark, Mark Shepard. So this was my introduction to Mark Shepard actually as an actor. I don't think I'd seen him before, and then I was like, that guy's awesome. It's really <laughs> like he's an overly quirky character. Certainly, mm-hmm. I remember when the when I, when I read reviews after I watched the episode for the first time, there was a lot of people saying, yeah, they tried a little too hard with him being with the sunglasses and the cat and this and that. But I was like, he's so good and charming. I didn't care. I did. I did think the shades were a bit much, I and like I'm glad. I was glad they ditched them later. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I, I'd say. In terms of, I, I liked. I don't think I liked Starbuck as much as you did, Kate. I liked mm-hmm. uh, the character, though. I loved Baltar and Ty. I thought I, I, I'm really a sucker for those kind of you love to hate them kind of villains. Mm-hmm. Who, and Baltar definitely towed the line between being sometimes kind of being a halfway decent guy and sometimes being just a hissworthy, you know, snidely whiplash kind of villain. I, I really enjoyed that that kind of stuff. In terms of Specific episodes, it's harder because I do feel like it was broken into arcs in that way. So there are certain arcs that really stand out more than episodes themselves. So Yeah. One episode, though, that does come to mind, the one that began the second half of season four, when they realize they're on a deserted kind of earth. I think it's called yeah. uh, Sometimes a Great Notion. And that's the episode where uh, I can't for, I can't remember the character names for, for my life. Uh, the, the girl who was played by... Okay, uh, uh, Duala. Sorry, yeah, yeah, Duala. Yeah. Where she kills herself because she's like, "This is it. We're devastated. We're done." That that kind of stuff is really when the show worked me because it was so harsh and unforgiving in so many ways. Even though it clearly loved a lot of the characters, you could tell that Ronald Moore loved these characters, but he was not unwilling to cut and run when he thought it was appropriate. That kind of thing really stands out. Well, and let's talk about some of these performances because we have, you know, there's been a couple people we've mentioned, but this is a ridiculously strong cast, I think, in general. There's maybe a couple. I think Grace Park takes a while to really find her legs and gets, I think she improves, and by season four, she's actually quite good. But in general, like, you, this this cast is, is pretty darn strong. Uh, who who are the standouts? We've already talked about Katie Sackhoff, but who who else stands out for you guys? 
Well, for me, I, I mean, we have to mention Michael Hogan, if only because he is the most Canadian badass in television <laughs> history. That accent, there's no fake in that. <laughs> he was very... He's the most grizzled guy on the show, which is yeah. hard to do when, when, you, when you're there next to Edward James Almost, who has, like, the craggiest face on television. Yeah, so when you have Michael Hogan there out grizzling and out uh, gravitasing Edward James Almost, that, that, that's not easy to do. And I would also say, in terms of grizzling, let's not forget Doc Cottle. Oh, yes, him. he doesn't he, pop up as much as I would have liked. He he didn't, but he was a great character. Again, talk about you know old and grizzled. He was about as he was about as grouchy as you get. I'd say again, James Callis as Guy's mm-hmm. Baltar was great. I thought Mary McDonald was very good as Rosalind. She was great, and um, I mean Michael Hogan. Uh, the only the other one I wanted to call out uh, when you were talking about the Cylon. Conflicts not being as interesting, Michael, uh, Simon, you mentioned, I don't know why I called you Michael. <laughs> you mentioned Dean Stockwell, and he was the only thing that really got me interested about the Cylons, because he was great as number one, as the, mm. the head evil Cylon. He was so, he wasn't in a lot of episodes, but he got, you know, he was in more and more as the show progressed. He was a great villain, a great, completely black-hearted scoundrel just really really good performance i I always enjoyed it it was very over the top but in a way that i really enjoyed absolutely i mean i think a lot of the um well i guess it really depends on which of the silence you're talking about some of them never even get last names like simon <laughs> uh, black doctor guy as we called him amongst my uh, circle of friends uh <laughs> I would say I really like uh, I like Leobin. At least I like early Leobin. So that's Callum Keith Rennie. Though I, I feel like they they started some really interesting stuff, uh, particularly with his obsession with Starbuck, and then it never really paid off. He literally just takes off. He just disappears. <laughs> yeah. In, in <laughs> retrospect, you know, I hadn't even thought about that until you brought it up. But in retrospect, that was kind of silly. Yeah, I, I I really liked Lucy Lawless's first appearance as Deanna Beers. I thought that was you know so much fun, and she she I mean I I always enjoyed Lucy Lawless. Um, I've just been enjoying her on Spartacus, and I and, and now I'm going to miss her there. But uh, but yeah, I, I absolutely agree though that the most compelling of of the Cylons is uh, is Dean Stockwell as number one. The uh, did you guys watch the I think it's called The Plan? No, I'd always heard it was not very good, so I didn't watch it. I watched it. It was, you know, whatever. It's, it was... it's kind of middling, but there's this great yeah. scene with Dean Stockwell and Trisha Helfer just going on of, of with one of the ones and one of the sixes just going on about how they suck and they can't seem to do anything right when it comes to sabotaging the fleet, the human fleet. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's good stuff. Watching them get watching him get to play, he's just so intense of a performer. That I think this the show works really well for him. Um, I have some other stuff uh, topics I would like to touch on. I, I know about you guys. I wanted to mention first of all, I guess, I guess I would put the Marses slightly above them, but Starbuck and Adama have one of the best father daughter relationships on television. The most interesting and nuanced, and it's so rare to see that dynamic, particularly anything that has any sort of a military bent. Um, so I love that about the show. Uh, but I would also love to talk about the music. Of course. Yeah, the, I, I, I have a slightly controversial position there, which is that um, the, the percussive aspect of the score is fantastic. Uh, really, really great. Which is, which is honestly about 60% of the score. Uh, the, <laughs> the drums. Um, when the woodwinds kick in, occasionally it gets a little bit James Horner Titanic for me. <laughs> okay. What about the strings? There's a lot of strings. 
I don't honestly. I don't remember the strings. I remember the the woodwinds because they bugged me so much. Okay, I don't remember woodwinds at all. Like the the opera house theme is all strings. Um, no, I, I'm thinking of like the for the inspirational moments. Really, you don't remember the you don't remember the the flutes at all. Oh, you mean the Adama theme, like the like the bagpipey kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah, the, the there is an Irish lilt to the to the Adama's theme, but um, no, for me, I always think of the opera house music, um, the fugue really that Bear McCreary wrote for that. Um, I would agree the percuss the percussive uh, the, the the combination of this incredibly lyrical, incredibly minimalist music um, that we get whenever they're you know any of the stuff with uh, prophecy, any of the stuff with uh, Cobol or the opera house or. The, the more um, character moments that's contrasted so starkly with the the taiko drums that they use for the uh, f for the space sequences the action sequences I think it works really well and it shows the versatility in Barry McCreary I think I think this is really the show that introduced the world to, to him and I and like like we were we were talking about this earlier Simon first of all I could do an entire DVD shelf just about the music of Battlestar because that's how much I love it um, but one of the things you said is is uh, he needs to be cloned, and I totally agree. We need more Bear McCreary. He just needs to score every show because there's so yeah. much bad I mean, TV he's, scoring. He, he's kicking ass on The Walking Dead right now, and I, yeah. I, I, I like to think about what he would do, do with a show like, oh, I don't know, Parenthood. I like to think of what he would do with a show like Doctor Who, and then <laughs> I get sad. <laughs> I like the music on Doctor Who. I used to like it more, but yeah, that's, that's for another a conversation for another time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the score for this. I, I admit, I think I kind of wish I didn't know who scored The Walking Dead because when I see his name, I think you did Battlestar Galactica. Why isn't this score as good as that? And obviously, <laughs> it's because the people are not as in, like obviously, music was a very integral part of this show in mm -hmm. a way that it's obviously not part of The Walking Dead. I, you know, I, I think. Uh, on our podcast, uh, my co-host Mike will always talk about how the soundtrack works if he doesn't notice it. Mm -hmm. And I guess under those rules, the soundtrack for The Walking Dead works because I very rarely notice it. But, you know, I, I think that he did a very good job here. I will say, comparing it to Lost, I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion, but I liked Michael Giacchino's work more on that show in a way that it's it definitely more bombastic, more... Like very, very big and emotional, and maybe ways that this wasn't. But I, I did. I, I have to admit, I, I liked that score a little bit more, even if that show didn't rely on music in the same way this one does. Both shows have a very close relationship with their music. They both have yes. very unique sound. They have <laughs> very unique. They both have unique sounds, and they're both incredibly well written. So I, I, I cinematic, I think, in a lot of ways, very, very absolutely. big in their scope. Actually, trying to have a good soundtrack, which is so rare for mm -hmm. TV shows, right. Oh, which is why I think my own prep, my own preference for best TV score is always going to be Twin Peaks because it's it's a little bit crappy, um, <laughs> but in, in a way that I absolutely love, and I think Lynch and Battlemente did an incredible job. But it, it's it's got a certain tinny sort of soap opera quality that I really enjoy. Now I enjoy the uh, along the Watchtower that we get here, but I'm also not as knowledgeable about the not not old dead German guys music that we have. Uh, so, so what uh, what was your guys' take on that, Simon? I imagine you had a relationship with that song before this version. Well, kind of. I mean, whenever we got anything involving all, I I, I knew in advance that all along the Watchtower played some sort of role. I don't know. It was such a corny '50s like guy in his fifties or late forties or whatever move like to go with, to go with Dylan. 
Um, so I mean, it didn't bother me, but it made it made sense given the showrunner. But it it did always distract me a little bit. Or to go with the song at all? Or do you mean because they never used the Dylan version? No, no, no. But I mean, but it obviously it, to me, I, I immediately thought oh, of okay. Dylan, and then I thought, yeah, that's something that he would do. As opposed to the Hendrix version, which is the one that people are more familiar with. Yeah. Regarding All Along the Watchtower, I was fine with it to begin with. I, I also knew going in, I'd heard about it, so I, I'd been aware of it. I think at the end, it kind of felt like they used it a little too much within mm-hmm. the entire series. Like after that, it kind of felt like they relied on it a little too much. But I think in the outset, I was fine with it. Well, I do think it plays into the sort of big. It, it's weird because it kind of clashes with this with the improvisational aspects of their prophecy building so that it really makes you think that they've got their their egg their ducks in a row and they know exactly where it's all going mm-hmm. and I, I i think that it helps to reinforce people's disappointment with, with, with where it may have ended up going yeah i can see that well uh how about final final thoughts uh josh to you i mean i think it was a a great show on the whole it definitely was not perfect but i feel like these kinds of big these epic sci-fi shows there's no way they can be perfect. Again, I, I mentioned Breaking Bad. It's like Breaking Bad in that same way. It, it swings to the fences every single week, which means, you know, if, if you've got the right people involved, you're going to hit a lot of home runs or a lot of ground rule doubles or something, but you're not always going to actually connect. So every once in a while, this show did stumble pretty badly, but on the whole, it, it was a, a lot of fun. I, I'm actually, I'm excited to rewatch it at some point when I have you know, 75 hours of free time again in my life. Um, but yeah, I, I would definitely, I, I definitely still look fondly back on it a few years later. I wish, I wish that sci-fi had been able to figure out how to spin this show off in a better way. Cause Caprica was an interesting failure. I think mm-hmm. it definitely had a lot of flaws and I know they wanted to do another prequel with a younger version of Adama, but I assume that's never going to happen. Yeah, that was that was uh, t- tentatively booked for this, or you know, penciled in for this season, and then got pushed. And I have a feeling it's not going to happen. They were going to do a, a, like another mini series, and then maybe a a series off of that. Blood, uh, no, not blood and Sand. Blood and Chrome. Blood and Chrome. Blood yeah. and Chrome. Yeah. Um, and it, that Spartacus hasn't come to fruition. Chrome, right? Oh no, wait, that'd be something different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely, I, I'd love to see some of these people do better work because I feel like now it's just. Oh, we've got Trisha Helfer on the show because people like Valstar Galactica and she'll be here for an episode or two. And then she'll do like I I want these people to to get more solid work that is actually even remotely as good as this. You know, it's just feel like they haven't gotten there yet. So, yeah. Simon, I know you've heard me say a lot of negative things, uh, but as as Josh mentioned, uh, it's. It's not only hard for a show to be perfect. I would actually I've I've said before, I'll say again, there is no perfect TV show. It's never happened. It's it, it'll it's never been done. I don't think it'll ever be done. And I, I would love to actually throw throw that out to the Twitterverse. Do you think there's a perfect TV show? And I can tell you why you're wrong. Anyway, um, <laughs> and Battlestar is far from perfect, but I I do think the highs make it worth the I think significant lows uh, that crop up even later, especially because I feel like everyone's reaction to where it ends up is highly individual, more so than maybe with other shows where the the lows are sort of clearer and easier to define and uh, i i do think the the cast and the the grittiness of the universe make it worth it pretty much all the way through yeah it, it's a um it's a show and i was actually i was somewhat surprised by this when i was rewatching some episodes uh well first of all it's a show that benefited really well from the fixed end point when they established that the show really i think improved we stopped getting love triangle 
time filling. Um, so I, I, if it if it helped to make that a more common thing, then then yay, Battlestar. Um, and I will agree, it it does have ups and downs, but but I don't. I mean, for me, they aren't as extreme as they seem to be for you guys. Uh, and and I guess I just enjoy a show or applaud a show that that looks at the reaction to grief and to to intensive suffering like i, I think because we see we get a reaction with um anger we get we get military then we get an exploration of faith and we get an exploration of ethics and revenge and this is a this is the show that really takes an all-encompassing look at the grieving process and the healing process in a way that i think is really interesting and then the, the last thing that i have is probably you guys this will not apply to either of you two but for anybody out there who's not sure who likes board games the Battlestar Galactica board game is amazing, and it's really great. It, it really, it, it. I just wanted to mention it just because it's it's so fantastic. So, anybody out there who likes board games, if you check out check out Battlestar, if you like the show, check out the Battlestar Galactica board game because you just always die. The humans always lose. You, it's like you run out of water, or your morale gets too low and you die, or the Cylons show up and kill you, and it's it's pretty fantastic. So, uh, I like the show. Uh, I love this show. I, I should say and. Uh, yeah, I hope we get. I hope we get more opportunity for for Ron Moore. To, Ron Moore hasn't really come out with a show uh, since. We had a failed pilot with NBC that was supposed to be like a magical police department or something, and that was going to have a lot of people from Battlestar Galactica back, but that just failed. And yeah. unfortunately, they didn't even give it the same shot that uh, they gave that failed Monsters show. I mean, I guess uh, Katie Sackhoff is on Longmire, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. But but in general, this cast needs way more <laughs> to do and way better writing. Though th- that was the other thing I was going to mention a lot. I was surprised when rewatching some of this. The writing a lot of times isn't isn't that uh, phenomenal. But the, this is a show to watch every now and again. You know, there's episodes that are written incredibly well. But I, more than anything, this is a show to watch for the performances. I think and for the ideas that are explored um, in a way that I, th- I think there's more lost has more, uh, writing that I remember. And this has more performances that I remember, I think, but yeah, it's a great show. You guys should all watch it. Yes. So Josh, thank you again for coming on. Where can our listeners find you online? Uh, you can find masterpiece cinema on sound on site. We're also on iTunes and I, I wanted to make two quick notes. Uh, first of all, to Simon's challenge, the answer is Deadwood. Deadwood's a perfect show. No, and it's I'll, not. I'll, bro- it's my fa- I'll it's... absolutely no argument on that, sir. How De- Deadwood is my favorite show of all time, sir, but it's not perfect. You can listen to our DVD shelf about it. There you go. I, I did, and I, I still think it's perfect. I don't care if it didn't get a thing. It's still a great show. Um, and the second thing is, you mentioned earlier, we didn't, we barely got to mention Cylon. Something we haven't mentioned at all, I don't think, is oh, wow. one of the best running gags in the show. Frack! Oh, Yeah. We also didn't mention the special effects, which are, on the whole, very good. Actually, you know, I I have a beef with Frack, actually, which is in the first few seasons when they're using it as sort of a catch-all expletive for situations, it's great. But then in the last season or so, there's a couple instances where characters actually use Frack as a substitute for copulation. And it re- it's really gross and doesn't work any of the times that it happens. Like, characters actually look at each other and say, let's Frack, and it's like, ooh. That's like the least sexy phrase ever invented. Uh, that, that, I think that's actually interesting for me because I notice a different curve. I, there's a totally, for me, a learning curve where you see the cast 
is the actors are not comfortable with that as an actual word. So it's completely unbelievable for the first, you know, string of episodes where you're like, oh, that's adorable. I don't believe that you actually use this word ever. And then as the as the actors get more comfortable with it, it feels more increasingly uh, uh, f comfortable and realistic and if it, it works in the world. And then there's a certain point where, they, where you can tell the writers going, hey, why don't we use this in other ways? You can call somebody a mother fracker. Yeah, that won't be weird. <laughs> they let the like because I think the joke kind of permeated other TV shows because I know Veronica Mars made references mm -hmm. to frag. I think they kind of got high on that. Like people like us, other people <laughs> like us. We're gonna just make. But I just think it's funny because that was certainly early on. I think that might have been one of the early stumbling blocks because I'm sure they mentioned that in the miniseries where it's like that's kind of a childish way of getting across profanity, but. At the same time, it kind of got funny by the end. So um, I think I mentioned the podcast, right? You can find me on Senate site. And uh, I'm on Twitter, at Masterpiece. And you can like us on Facebook. Well, thank you again for coming on. And uh, thank it you. It was a pleasure. I'm so glad to come on the show. <laughs> Good times. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Television.